Good evening and happy winter. I'm Michelle Hutchins, County Superintendent of Schools. In today's edition of Inside Education, I'll interview educators who work in the fields of science, technology, engineering, and math. These women will share why they chose to work in the areas and their experiences along the way. Women have made tremendous progress in education and the workplace during the past 50 years. Even in historically male fields such as business, law, and medicine, women have made impressive gains. In scientific areas, however, women's educational gains have been less dramatic, and their progress in the workplace is still slower. In an era where women are increasingly prominent in medicine, law, and business, why are so few women becoming scientists and engineers? According to the AAUW, Why So Few Research report, women make up only 28% of the workforce in science, technology, engineering, and math. These fields are called STEM. And men vastly outnumber women majoring in most STEM fields in college. The gender gaps are particularly high in some of the fastest growing and highest paid jobs of the future, like computer science and engineering. The number of women in science and engineering is growing, yet men continue to outnumber women, especially in the upper levels of these professions. In elementary, middle, and high school, girls and boys take math and science courses in roughly equal numbers, and about as many girls as boys leave high school prepared to pursue science and engineering majors in college. Yet fewer women than men pursue these majors. The AAUW report continues to support that girls' achievements and interests in math and science are shaped by the environment around them. Let's explore the experiences of local educators who work in science, technology, engineering, and math fields. My first guest for the hour is Sarah Bogner. She's the Physical Therapy Assistant Program Director at Mendocino College. Ms. Bogner, please tell me a little bit about yourself, what you do, and how did you end up choosing your profession? I have worked at the college for the last five years, developing the physical therapist assistant program there, and we just graduated our first class of students this last week. I got into teaching at the college because I have been a physical therapist for over 20 years and have worked throughout different areas of Northern California after graduating from Regis University in 1999 with my degree in physical therapy, I have always had a love of anatomy. For years, I thought, well, maybe I'll teach anatomy someday. That you know, I, have a, I had a master's degree from Regis University, and I knew that I could teach at a community college with a master's degree and had looked into that over the years, but never really seriously. And then in about 2015, I decided to go for it. And I turned in an application to be an adjunct instructor in the biology department here at Mendocino College, teaching anatomy. And I absolutely loved teaching. I love being on college campuses. I, I like the energy of students. It was just super, super fun for me. And I thought I want this to be my full time job. And within that same year, the dean approached me and said, Hey, you know, we've been wanting to develop a PTA program and Adventist Health has been asking us to develop a PTA program here at Mendocino College for years. It, you know, I was lucky enough to have that that present itself as a way that I could teach full-time and be a part of education full-time. And it's really, it's really been an amazing experience. 
I, I chose the profession of physical therapy because I grew up doing gymnastics and had a lot of, you know, little gymnastics related injuries and had people over the years tell me, you just shouldn't do gymnastics. It's just not good for your body. But I loved it. I learned that physical therapists were the people who helped people do the things that they love and taught people how to get better, healthier, stronger, so that they could continue to do the things they enjoy. Because I can remember being 10 or 12 and thinking, why is everybody just telling me to quit? Why doesn't somebody tell me what I can do to keep doing this? And then I found out there were people that did that. That led me into physical therapy. Why do you think women go into science fields? What is it that you think makes women want to pursue a field in science? Women need to be instilled with a love of science or a knowledge of science. And so I think it starts at a very young age. When I did research on women in STEM, primarily we see that women are underrepresented in most STEM fields. However, physical therapy and physical therapy assistant work seems to be the opposite. Can you speak at all to that? Why you think that might be? It is definitely the opposite. The statistics are a little bit overwhelming. It's about 70% women, 30% men in the field of physical therapy. And so as a profession, we're trying to figure out what can we do to get more men in the field? And also what can we do to get more minorities in the field? I think it's only like 5% of physical therapists are black. And so how do we get more more minorities, more men. So it is different. It's different than a lot of other STEM fields. And I think it goes back to the same reason that nursing, I don't know the statistics for nursing, but I suspect that it is similar where there's a much higher percentage of women in the nursing fields. And it just goes back to historically are that when those professions started, the physical therapy history is that the profession started around World War II when there were a lot of uh, war-related injuries and specifically a lot of amputations and people coming home from war or needing to be treated in the field that had these major injuries and there was no field of medicine that was specifically for rehabilitation and getting them back to life and back to work after significant injury. That was the birthplace of physical therapy. And then polio added to that also with, with the polio epidemic and people having paralysis related to polio and needing rehabilitation to get back to doing the normal everyday life activities that they did prior to having polio. And in nursing, those, those jobs in nursing during the wars were filled by women. And those jobs in physical therapy were filled by women. Never switched over. Both of those careers just continued to be female, predominantly female jobs. And that still holds today but, but it's changing. We're seeing, we're seeing a, a shift in that. You're listening to Sarah Bogner. She's physical therapist, assistant program director at Mendocino College. As a teacher, in your experience, does the stereotype that boys are better than girls in math and science still affect girls today? I have two daughters who are in high school and are both very high achieving in science and math areas. So I've thought about that in relation to them. Will I see that in them? Do they feel different being a female in school with math and science? 
My daughter is the president of the STEM club at Ukiah High School. I would say no. And I think, why is that if that is a trend in our society? And I think it's because I'm their mother. You know, I, they have a mother as a role model who has a, has a college education, has a graduate degree, is in a position at a college teaching, has a, you know, as a member of a profession, you know, all these different things and that I'm involved in science and education. And so they see that as the norm because that's what they've grown up with. And I have three older sisters who are all in science fields. And I have a niece who's in a science field that's older than them. And so they've grown up with all of these examples of women in science. And so that's the norm for them. I think the example that you have around you and the role models that you have around you make a a big difference in your outlook on how you see yourself in education and what you what you see as your role as a female in the, the science and math STEM world, so to speak. What advice would you have for parents whose children may be interested in science fields, but they themselves are not in a science field to be able to create that culture that you've been able to create in your home? Right. I think it's just encouragement that recognizing that any student is capable of doing anything they want, that having that growth mindset. Growth mindset is the thought that that anyone can do anything and that that all parents should be encouraging their children to achieve their goals and to meet their goals and to expose them to a lot of different ideas about what is out there. You know, what are the possibilities for education? What are the different things they can study? Uh, just, just exposure, exposure, exposure. I can remember years ago, someone who I had met, who I didn't know very well, and she was asking some questions about my family. And she said, oh, you're the youngest of four girls. And we were talking about education. And she came from a family where um, she had not gone to college, although she was very successful in what she was doing. But she, her and her siblings didn't go to college. And she had young children, and she wanted to encourage them to go to college. And she was saying to me, what did your parents do? You had these four girls and you all went to college and you all have, not only did you go to undergraduate school, but all of you have graduate degrees also. And I said, it was just what was expected. It was just assumed that we would go to college, that our both my parents, my mom and dad, both put a huge value on education. And they let us know that at a young age, that, that education was valued and they encouraged us to continue our education past high school. And I don't think everybody needs to go to college. I don't think college is the answer for every single person out there. There are so, or a four-year college, so to speak. There are so many great professions and trades that you can get education in. I think, but I do think the concept of being a lifelong learner, no matter what you're doing, is important to teach children. As faculty at Mendocino College, What elements exist in the departmental culture at Mendocino College that help attract and retain female faculty in STEM fields? Mendocino College has such a great culture of equity. And I think that that is true across the students. I think it's true for faculty. And it really encourages anyone to do any any position there in faculty. And so there's there is definitely not an underrepresentation of females in the STEM fields that I can see. I was hired to be an adjunct faculty in the biology department and the head of the biology department is female. 
and the two other full-time instructors in the biology department are female. And so I was coming in as another female into this all-female department. And I know each department is different and that's just biology and the, that's not the same throughout all the science departments. Where I see less females is in tech. And that's those are the departments where I see less. And I actually heard my daughter talking about it the other day, the sophomore in high school with a friend. And she was like, maybe I'll take that computer science class as an elective next year. And she's like, what does that even mean? Computer science, you know, and it was just interesting to listen to them talk about it. Cause here she's somebody who's very into this science. They do science Olympiad and they're doing all these science things. But the idea of computer science is totally foreign to her. She's like, I think we would like code program. I don't know who knows. So that is definitely an area where I see a need for more females. Sarah Bogner, physical therapist, assistant program director for Mendocino College. You are listening to Inside Education. My name is Michelle Hutchins. I'm the county superintendent of schools. My next guest is Rebecca Bailey. Rebecca Bailey is a continuous improvement specialist at Mendocino County Office of Education. What is a continuous improvement specialist? What essentially do you do for the Mendocino County Office of Education? That is a great question. One of the best things about working for MemCOE is that we are such a small county office. So as a continuous improvement specialist, you do a lot of different things. So you might be supporting teachers in the classroom. You might be supporting school administrators with some strategic planning. I personally have certain areas that are kind of my focus. Computer science is the big one. Educational technology, universal design for learning, some differentiated assistance, some of the, the visual and performing arts integration. Are there programs you work with that support STEM education in our schools? Well, specifically computer science education um, in that particular area, um, there's a huge push in California to try to diversify the computer science workforce because it's well documented that there are a lot of ethnic and gender groups that are underrepresented. One of the curriculums that is my favorite is something called Exploring Computer Science, designed as a um, ninth grade foundational computer science course which addresses three strands of equity, inquiry, and computer science concepts. And they really try to overcome some of the stereotypes that kind of preclude and prevent women and certain ethnic groups from pursuing of computer science. And it comes from some research by Jane Margolis, who was wonderful and has conducted some fascinating and really powerful work in um, equity and computer science. How did you end up working in this field? How did you end up choosing computer science as a field of interest? Well, I suppose by accident, I uh, was a teacher. Of, I taught business and economics in the UK. But when I moved to California, your system is a little different. And I landed in a middle school technology keyboarding class, which I decided would be much more appropriate as a computer science class. So I had the opportunity to work with students in sixth, seventh and eighth grade try and get them excited about technology and computer science. Um, and then uh, since then, it's kind of been my passion to get more and more students to have, or if in fact, all students to have access to computer science education beginning in the youngest of grades. What challenges have you faced in your career being in a field with your gender primarily underrepresented? Well, in the field of education, 
we're not. And it's been really interesting when I've kind of crossed that bridge into other computer science or technology um, realms. I know I've had a number of meetings at Mendocino College, um, for example, the Computer Science Advisory Board. And I don't think I've been in a room as the only woman of, you know, 25 other men many times in my career. So that was a pretty illuminating experience for me. I also think about in the field of computer science, there's been so many faux pas or mistakes that have happened because certain people haven't been represented in the design process. And there's a lot of data that supports women being um, only, you know, taking up 20 to 30% of the workforce in computer science. As a teacher, in your experience, does the stereotype that boys are better than girls in math and science still affect girls today? I find that question really difficult to answer. I think it probably does. But my own experience when I was at school, I didn't perceive that stereotype in my myself. I wonder what how what the impact of having um, female role models in science and mathematics has. I wonder at what point students develop that um, perception that science or computer science or mathematics is not for them. I think that there's a lot of stereotypes that um, and a lot of perceptions that influence students' beliefs in themselves that might go even beyond, you know, mathematics and science and girls and boys. Research claims that one result of girls' lower self-assessment of their math or science ability, even in the face of good grades and test scores, and their higher standards for performance, is that fewer girls than boys aspire to STEM careers. Are there things parents and teachers can do to emphasize that girls and boys achieve equally well in math and science? There's been a number of studies that have highlighted that girls are kind of um, encouraged not to fail and make mistakes. There's a pressure to be perfect. And I can certainly say that that has been my experience sometimes in the classroom. There's been a reluctance to make mistakes. So whatever we can do to encourage students that and young people um, that, you know, making a mistake is part of the learning process and a pretty critical part of the learning process. I think that's really powerful. I think it's important to um, create an environment where students can feel safe and, and in failure and exploring different things. Even when our self-perception can have quite an impact on our performance and even our ability or willingness to ask for help. Um, and I know that there's been a lot of examples in higher education where students have earned their place in that particular university and that particular college. But because of the a feeling of um, or even an imposter syndrome, they have not been willing to ask for help and they're more likely to perceive it to be their problem as opposed to it being a difficult class, I suppose. I'm not sure what the solution is. You're listening to Rebecca Bailey, Continuous Improvement Specialist at Mendocino County Office of Education. How can parents and teachers encourage girls to assess their skills more accurately? If they're doing more comparison, how can we look at it being more of an accurate assessment? I like to encourage students and young people and my colleagues to consider growth. Um, and only judge against themselves because we all learn at different in different ways at different paces and I think that's the best way to kind of highlight your success as opposed to comparing to perhaps somebody else and that self-reflection can be an incredibly valuable tool 
moving forward. So if women and men in science and engineering know bias exists, what can they do to interrupt the unconscious thought processes that lead to it? Well, I think awareness is the first step, right? Um, so, I mean, if, if we're conscious that we are, we have these unconscious biases, then that's one step in that direction. I think we need to be create spaces where we have more people um, from different backgrounds and cultures that have a voice. Um, and that's why I believe that every student should be taught computer science because we need to make it seem, or it needs to appear that that is a pathway for everyone. It is not just for a small group of people, especially when we consider that science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, like they are well-paying careers and industries that influence so much of what we do on a daily basis. Um, and so unfortunately in those areas, we have some, we have a lack of diversity and yet an awful lot of power over our, the way a society functions. And until we get more of a diverse and, you know, accurate representation of our population, then there's going to be lack of balance and um, mistakes are going to be made because certain voices are not being heard. You're listening to Rebecca Bailey, Continuous Improvement Specialist at Mendocino County Office of Education. What advice do you have for parents and K-12 educators to encourage more girls and women to enter these vital fields? You know, I think that part of it is that we don't really understand what these vital fields are. So, um, you know, exploring CS Ed Week last week um, focused on some computer science heroes. They really illustrate the diverse range of career pathways and types of things that might be involved in just computer science. If we add engineering and we add a mathematics and we add science to that, like the field is enormous and it's growing every day. So helping um, explore what might be out there and considering the fact that the careers that we're seeing advertised right now might be very different in another five years. I think that's a big part of opening up those pathways. We've got to believe it's possible. We have to be able to dream it, right? And if we don't know that these things exist or these pathways or opportunities are out there, then how are you supposed to aspire, follow that path? Girls have fewer role models to inspire their interest in these fields, seeing limited examples of female scientists and engineers in books, media, and popular culture. There are even fewer Black women role models in math and science. How do we as an education system reverse this? There's been a push towards computer science ball for a number of years, and we've done a really good job of making access to increasing access to computer science but there's still a challenge with ensuring everybody participates so there are systems that are in place that are preventing certain students from taking certain classes there's also beliefs that are preventing or limiting the number of students that choose to take um, certain classes i think we need to tackle it from multiple perspectives we need to address the system um, and consider how that is limiting participation and access, we need to consider the content and the curriculum that's provided to make sure that it's culturally responsive and appropriate to all of the students in the classroom. We need to help to kind of highlight the role models that are out there. We need to get more, um, we need to ensure that teachers, that students can see themselves in these roles in the future. It's very difficult to imagine yourself doing a certain taking a certain pathway if you don't see anybody that looks like you or talks like you or acts like you in that role. There's um, a framework called the CAPE framework, which is what we're currently using in the field of computer science education um, to try and address 
the capacity for computer science education, the access to computer science education, participation in computer science education, and then finally the experience that students get once they're in that class and in a computer science um, classroom. Rebecca Bailey, Continuous Improvement Specialist for Mendocino County Office of Education. You are listening to Inside Education. My name is Michelle Hutchins. I'm the County Superintendent of Schools. My next guest is Malia Meyer. She is a Special Projects Coordinator for Mendocino County Office of Education, and she is the Region 1 STEAM Hub. What is a Special Projects Coordinator? What is a Region 1 STEAM Hub, and what exactly do you do? Thanks for asking. So in my role as the Region 1 STEAM Hub lead, as a Special Projects Coordinator at MCOE, I coordinate statewide grant that is awarded to... I believe about 13 different county offices and we lead a regional effort to expand access to STEAM, so science, technology, engineering, art, and math enrichment programming throughout expanded learning programs in Region 1. So Region 1 includes Sonoma, Mendocino, Lake, Humboldt, and Del Norte counties. And in those five counties, we have... um, just a little over 140 sites that have ACES or after-school safety and education grants or 21st Century Community Learning Center grants. And more recently, we have some exciting new funding coming in, the Expanded Learning Opportunities Program funding. And so all of these funding sources are meant to expand access for kids who may not otherwise have access to enrichment programming that can help support their connection to school, their connection to caring adults, social-emotional learning skills, and then those soft skills that we know are so important um, in all careers, but including those STEM careers. So in a nutshell, (laughs) I actually support the adults in the system to design engaging lessons and to really get the kids excited about learning about science, technology, engineering, art, and math, and integrating those into the programs and then finding the existing strengths of the programs and kind of leveraging the things that the kids are interested in and the staff are really passionate about teaching. What challenges (laughs) have you faced in your career being in a field with your gender primarily underrepresented, specifically teaching in a STEM field? I think I've always felt that I had to be well-researched and be able to back up every single thing I say and um, really be careful and strategic about the decisions that I made. So I think that's worked well for me. So I don't know if it's, it's a detriment, but it's definitely something that I have noticed that myself and other women have had to think about, you know, going through our careers and planning towards the future. I have gravitated towards agencies and towards teams that are dominated by women. So there's also, um, I think I've been very, very lucky in that way to work with a lot of really amazing female leaders throughout my career. You're listening to Malia Meyer. She's our special projects coordinator at Mendocino County Office of Education. As a teacher, in your experience, does the stereotype that boys are better than girls in math and science still affect girls today? Unfortunately, I do. I think it affects both boys and girls. And often I think it even 
comes from the teachers themselves. So often as we as adults add so maybe messages that we're not even aware of. Um, I've heard so many people, and I actually, this is one of the things I ask in my trainings when we talk about incorporating math skills and extending those, I ask people the question of, have you ever said out loud, oh, I'm not really great at reading, right? <laughs> Nobody says that out loud, but you can go into almost any meeting, any day, every day I can hear someone say, oh, I'm not good, math isn't my forte, I'm not good with numbers or, you know, of the, the like. And that affects both how we teach and how we learn. Another area where cultural factors have been found to limit girls' interests in mathematics and mathematically challenging careers is how we view our own abilities. You're speaking to this a little bit. Do you find that girls assess their mathematical abilities lower than do boys with similar mathematical achievement? Hmm, I haven't taught math uh, specifically, but I think I can broadly say that I definitely have seen that in Primarily, I've been working with adults, right? So I definitely see that in the adults that I work with, where part of my role is supporting grant management as well, where someone might hand off something like an expenditure report and feel less confident in filling that out. That comes from that kind of mindset and those mental models that we have around our, our math skills. And so I really, I think it it plays out not only in our schools and in class, but into our adult lives in ways that can really affect how we perform in our lives. And so I hope that that's something that we can see shift in our systems and we can all maybe start having a little more positivity around how we engage with math and science as well. What elements exist in the culture at Mendocino County Office of Education that would attract female faculty or female workers in our STEM-related fields? Well, one thing I have definitely appreciated is really the, the flexibility the, of being able to work in a hybrid format. That's been something that at this time when childcare is really, really scarce. And then of course, through the pandemic, everything we've been through over the past year and a half, the responsiveness of our leadership and the flexibility, and also the, there's a lot of trust. MCOE is a small agency and we're supporting these districts and schools that are really broadly dispersed over a wide geographic area. So it can be difficult, I imagine, <laughs> for the upper leadership to really feel maybe in in control in a way. <laughs> um, and I, I really think that that's something that I've noticed. There, There is a distributed leadership. There's always an attempt to try new things and look at what we're doing. And I think we really take that idea of continuous improvement heart in that we're always going to try to do better. There's always room for improvement. And I think we're always going to be learning and shifting as we adjust. You know, we've hired a lot of new employees. So it feels like we're reteaching, you know, our culture norms and culture goals all over again. We also recently had a big reorganization. So I think we'll, we'll still see how that all plays out. But I'm excited about the direction that we're 
going in and I'm excited about all the new folks that have come on board. And I know we still have plenty of open positions as well. So for me, it's been a wonderful place to work and to learn and grow. And then it's also given me an opportunity to really participate in not only countywide, but regional and kind of statewide initiatives and be a part of promoting what's going on here locally in the greater conversation at the state level. Research shows that people judge women to be less competent than men in male jobs unless they're clearly successful in their work. When a woman is clearly competent in a masculine job, she is considered to be less likable. Because both likability and competence are needed for success in the workplace, women in STEM fields can find themselves in a double bind. Have you ever experienced this in your personal life? I definitely have. Um, I tend to be very passionate about the work that I do. And when it comes down to supporting kids and families, I will fight tenaciously (laughs) uh, for whether it's funding or a seat at the table or a voice, you know, in decision making. And there definitely have been times where that hasn't been uh, received well. That has been a topic of conversation, you know, with my supervisors and just then also kind of internally in thinking about, you know, where are the ways that that's maybe a cultural issue (laughs) and where are the ways, you know, what do I have control over in that situation? I definitely don't have control over what somebody else's biases might be. I definitely have struggled with that and finding that way of being able to express those ideas that I'm really passionate about in a way that everybody can hear. And yet, you know, I do find it frustrating, for example, that maybe a, a male person in a position can express anger or frustration, you know, whereas a woman, <laughs> that's seen in a, in a totally different way. What advice do you have for parents and K-12 educators to encourage more girls and women to enter STEM fields? That is a great question. Overall, I would encourage parents to get involved. You know, when, they're, when your kids see you being curious about what they're learning about, even though, you know, so often they're going to say they didn't do anything in school that day, <laughs> you know, when you really are curious and asking questions about what's going on, I think it's going to encourage the kids to be, you know, that encourages children to be more engaged themselves. But also looking at one's own mental models around, like I said, like math and science. And, you know, if you're balancing your checkbook and having a tough time with it, maybe saying, wow, not I'm not good at math, but I'm not really great at this yet, right? And so sometimes just shifting how we present ideas or even how we react to our kids' interests and trying to just encourage our kids to be curiosity and get out there and question phenomenon that's going on in the world. Malia Meyer, Special Projects Coordinator for Mendocino County Office of Education. You are listening to Inside Education. My name is Michelle Hutchins. I'm the County Superintendent of Schools. My next guest for the hour is Leslie Banta, Professor of Mathematics at Mendocino College. Ms. Banta, would you please tell me a little bit about yourself, what you do, and how you ended up choosing your profession? 
I teach full time at Mendocino College and I teach math at all levels. So we have classes for students who are just learning their mathematics or reviewing mathematics all the way up through the full calculus series. And I teach all of those classes. I really enjoy what I do. I feel like I can act as a mentor and a guide, especially for women in STEM. And over the years, I think it's been really important that my students see me in that role. When I was growing up, I didn't see women in that role very often. It might have seemed odd that then when it was time to go back to school and choose a career, I decided, oh, I'm going to be a math teacher. People thought that um, that was an odd choice. I had family members say, well, you must think a lot of yourself, don't you? To which I replied, I guess I do. When I was at Mendocino College, as a returning student in my 30s, I was really supported. I never heard from a single instructor or counselor here that I could not do what I wanted to do. They told me to go for it and they supported me in every way that I could. When I went to transfer, I started seeing a little bit of discouragement again. I was told by an advisor that there had been nobody like me who had been successful in their program and I might want to try something else. I proved him wrong <laughs> and you know, did very well in that program with the support of female mentors without seeing other women who had done what I was trying to do that I might have given up. I might have listened to those other voices. What challenges have you faced in your career being in a field with your gender primarily underrepresented? Sometimes I, I experience, you know, doubt at my competence because of my gender. Sometimes it has been from other instructors, surprisingly enough, and sometimes from students because they haven't seen women in this field or sometimes the women that they've seen are treated differently. A case in point, I had one professional experience where the men called each other always by their last name. But when they spoke with women, they called them by their first name. At one point, they started calling me by my last name, and I was the only woman who was being called by my last name. And one of my students came up to me and said, you must really know what you're doing because they're calling you by your last name and they don't do that with the other women. Students pick up on that. They see that. I've had female colleagues who were giving presentations and the men were always introduced as professor so-and-so, but the women were introduced by their first names. We don't think maybe too much of that when it happens, like in the moment, maybe you don't think too much of it, but it sends a message that somehow women are less than in the field, not as competent in the field, don't belong in the field. It says something to our students and our students know it, whether we recognize it or not, our students do. As a teacher, in your experience, does the stereotype that boys are better than girls in math still affect girls today? It does indeed. My daughter, for one, um, was told when she struggled with something in math, was told, that's okay, girls aren't very good at math anyhow. Uh, to which you can imagine I, I had a rather strong reaction. So that still happens. 
it, it is the case that women, although studies have shown that they outperform men in STEM, if they have any kind of setback, they decide that they aren't cut out for STEM, that they don't belong, and they will leave the field. Another area where cultural factors have been found to limit girls' interest in mathematics and mathematically challenging careers is how we view our own abilities. Do you find that girls assess their mathematical abilities lower than do boys with similar mathematical achievements? They do. Again, studies have shown that this is the case, that there is this perception that women are somehow, girls are somehow not as good at math. The truth is everybody has the capability to learn mathematics, not just to learn, but to excel. And when we focus on things like how fast can you get the answer? Can you get the right answer? Can you do it the right way? I think that it stifles the creativity that girls and boys too um, have available to them. There are many different ways to achieve a solution in mathematics. There are many different ways to explore mathematics. And when we have a situation where you need to have it quickly and it needs to be right, and we reward that instead of the process of learning, that should be our focus, right? We're learning mathematics. It should be exciting. It should be exploring. It should be all the things that our system doesn't always let it be. Then I think that girls would begin to see just how very good they are. You're listening to Leslie Banta, professor of mathematics at Mendocino College. Are there things parents and teachers can do to emphasize that girls and boys achieve equally well in math and science? And how can parents and teachers encourage girls to assess their skills more accurately? Yeah, you know, that's really a tough thing to do, right? To have the confidence to assess our skills in a way that's realistic. One of the most important things parents can do is to encourage discovery. Focus on the learning, not on the right answer, but the process. How did they get there? Pattern recognition, sitting down with, with girls and having them do patterns when they're very young. That is such an important part of developing the skills in mathematics. Help them to learn that math is fun. Point out math and things they do, whether that's shapes. Send them on a shape scavenger hunt. You know, can you take your phone or your camera or even just pencil and paper and go out in the world and find these shapes? Anything like that starts to build their confidence. A lot of parents don't enjoy mathematics themselves. One of the best things you can say is, you know, I don't know the answer to that, but let's work on that and find out together. Having math nights with the kids, which there are actually books out there for like family math. It's a great little series that makes mathematics fun and accessible. It's not like sitting down and doing, you know, a hundred equations. Research shows that people judge women to be less competent than men in male jobs unless they are clearly successful in their work. When a woman is clearly competent in a masculine job, she is considered to be less likable. Because both likability and competence are needed for success in the workplace, women in STEM fields can find themselves in a double bind. 
Have you ever experienced this? Yes, I tend to speak out. I have opinions and I share them. And they are, I hope, mostly well-informed opinions. But it can be taken differently than if a man said the same thing. It's seen as, you know, aggressive and forward and where a man might be seen as passionate or well-informed. I think it's really important that women support each other in this area. So for example, when a woman at the table makes a suggestion, it's really important that another woman at the table or even a man at the table would be great, kind of repeats that. Oh, what Michelle said that was such a great idea that Michelle had. Or sometimes is the case where a woman will make a suggestion and then a man will pick it up as his own. It's important to bring it back around that, oh yeah, it was great when Michelle brought that up. It's, I'm so glad that you like her idea. And in that way, you know, promoting the competence of women and that their voice matters. It takes being intentional. Like you have to go into a meeting saying, okay, if a woman makes this, you know, makes a suggestion today, I am gonna reinforce it and I am gonna amplify it. I am gonna listen. I'm not gonna interrupt when a woman talks. That's another issue is that women get interrupted much more often than men. That kind of stifles their confidence and doesn't let them say, you know, get their opinion out there. It just takes intention. You have to decide every single time, this is what I'm going to do. And pretty soon it becomes a habit and it starts to change the culture of your professional space. What advice do you have for parents and K-12 educators to encourage more girls and women to enter these vital fields? We need to teach students and parents that struggle is okay. It is part of the natural learning process. When we're struggling, it means we're learning something new. And when we do that, it frees girls, right? We can take our time. We don't have to have the right answer. Be intentional again, be intentional, call on the girls, call on the students of color who are also underrepresented in STEM, right? Value what they have and teach them that even in our mistakes, we have a learning experience. If you have the right answer, the right solution, we learn from that. If you have an incorrect answer or an incorrect solution, we learn from that too. And what we're here to do is learn, not just get the right answer. Girls have fewer role models to inspire their interest in these fields. Seeing limited examples of female scientists and engineers in books, media, and popular culture. There are even fewer black women role models in math and science. How do we as an education system reverse this? If you see it, right, you can be it. And again, it's, it's about being intentional. There are a lot of black women mathematicians out there. Um, you can find plenty of resources on the, on the internet. Seeing these people and understanding their contributions, it's often the case in mathematics that all of the formulas and things that we're asked to remember are named after white male Europeans, not because they actually discovered the mathematics, but because they had access to a printing press and so they got credit for mathematics that other people in other cultures had been doing for years. Help those girls see, right, see people who look like them in the STEM fields. Because right now we're about two to one in the media, in the deficit 
of when we see men and when we see women in a STEM field. Leslie Banta, professor of mathematics at Mendocino College. This is Michelle Hutchins, County Superintendent of Schools. You're listening to Inside Education. My next guest this hour is Dr. Maya Stewart. Dr. Stewart is a continuous improvement specialist for Mendocino County Office of Education. Dr. Stewart, what is a continuous improvement specialist and what is it exactly that you do? Our position is to support teachers and administrators in implementation of new programs such as computer science or help them to understand the connections between the new standards that are coming out in education and how we can best support students. But we're also there to serve the needs of our districts in whatever way they determine. We have several rural districts and they may ask for someone that is specialized in a particular field outside of what they may have in their community. And it is our job to either be that person or find that person to best support our district and our students. How did you end up working in the job you have now, Dr. Stewart? I spent 19 years as a classroom teacher, specifically for biology, physics, critical thinking, and drama. I have now transitioned into focusing as a continuous improvement specialist after doing a doctorate in educational leadership with a focus in novice teacher training and really looking at how we can best implement equitable standards for science to our students. As a teacher, in your experience, does the stereotype that boys are better than girls in math and science still affect girls today? According to the research, yes, it does. And the transition tends to be around the middle school grades, especially fifth and sixth grade girls tends to be where the transition happens. And that's where we also see a lot more of the hormonal outpouring of usual, you know, pre-adolescents and adolescent children. And they tend to start flocking towards highly gendered roles not only in the classroom, but in their aspirations as well. This is where when we don't see enough representation of women in science, then it is not seen as a field to pursue. Another area where cultural factors have been found to limit girls' interest in mathematics and mathematically challenging careers is how we view our own abilities. Do you find that girls assess their mathematical abilities lower than do boys with similar mathematical achievements? And do you find that girls hold themselves to a higher standard than boys do in subjects like math, believing they have to be exceptional to succeed in male fields? I think that girls are often held to a higher behavioral standard and standard of decorum and therefore it's not just about their math it's about how they are behaving in the space and focusing on that and making sure that they are putting things in the right rows in the right columns sitting properly not talking those kind of things come up a lot and then whether or not that transfers into their 
belief in math also tends to be whether or not it's celebrated. Female students are in the home, they may be celebrated for similar behaviors of decorum. Oh, she's great at cleaning up her room. She's great at setting the table. She's great at doing the necessary female, often female-centered work of the home, whereas they're not necessarily coming home to, oh my goodness, you did amazing on your math test. What a phenomenal mathematician you are. So in many ways, how we are perceived can start leading to our own personal narrative. And so how we're celebrated becomes part of that narrative. And I don't find that often girls are as are complimented as often on their intelligence as they are complimented on their physical features and their behavior. Are there things parents and teachers can do to emphasize that girls and boys achieve equally well in math and science? And how can parents and teachers encourage girls to assess their skills more accurately? I think there's a lot we can do with the way that we interact with girls in terms of the positive um, affirmations that they get daily. If we always tell them, wow, you look so pretty in that dress. Oh, look at that. What a pretty girl. You're beautiful. You're kind. That's lovely. But it is not necessarily bolstering their confidence towards their math and science skills. Letting them have the opportunity to make change at the grocery store, allowing them to show their math skills in the home environment and then be able to compliment them for it my little mathematician, look at you making change. How do, how much tip should I give this waitress? Fantastic. I can see that computational skill is fantastic. Wow. Good, good for you. Those kinds of affirmations and the more that we can talk to our girls about their intelligence more than their physical appearance, the more they can build that narrative for themselves. I also think a huge thing is representation. So nowadays, we have a lot more opportunity to show our girls, women in science, from very young ages, like children's shows like Ada Twist Scientist or Emily's Wonder Lab on Netflix or things like Doc McStuffins on Hulu. There's a bunch of them. But essentially having our children see girls solving problems, building machines, practicing engineering, those sorts of representations, and then making sure in our classrooms, we have curriculum that is showing people like Ada Lovelace, we would not have computers without her, and making sure that we are allowing our girls to see representations of themselves, not only in their gender, but their ethnicity, succeeding in these fields and being able to have those opportunities to not only see a representation in a book, but meet the actual people in real life. And Zoom provides a tremendous opportunity because now we're not limited by our location to having interactions with high-powered women in science. You're listening to Dr. Maya Stewart. She's a continuous improvement specialist for Mendocino County Office of Education. I'm Michelle Hutchins, your county superintendent of schools, and you're listening to Inside Education. Dr. Stewart, 
What advice do you have for parents and K-12 educators to encourage more girls and women to enter these vital fields? I think we start with the books we read our kids and making sure that they see strong characters as female. And I think it's something like 80% of children's books, the protagonist is male. So you can just switch the pronouns as you're reading the story. The fish doesn't need to be a boy. The fish can be a girl. The turtle can be a girl. The, the eagle can be a girl. Making sure that they are hearing stories where girls succeed, making sure they're watching shows that incorporate girls in those kinds of let's figure it out shows and making sure that as we compliment our girls, we think about how many times are we complimenting them on their looks and making sure that there is at least, if not more, compliments on their smarts. Dr. Stewart, tell me, why is it that we have new science standards and why is it that schools are making such a large shift to incorporate them right now? Because education is meant to be a place where we are not preparing our students for our past, but we are preparing them for their future. And the future of science in this country and globally is yet to be seen. We don't know what problems may arise, whether it's from the climate or from something like a disease, but we know that our students are going to face unique challenges that we cannot anticipate. And therefore, we need to create problem solvers. We need to help educate and inspire our children to be able to know where to look for information, how to engage with that information, and get the truth get real facts and real results to be able to solve future problems. So it's not about knowing that the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. That's nice, but that's not going to solve futuristic problems. These science standards are built to create critical thinkers who are ready to take on new and unforeseen challenges. Dr. Maya Stewart, Continuous Improvement Specialist for Mendocino County Office of Education. This is Michelle Hutchins. I'm your County Superintendent of Schools. This concludes our show today. These interviews were pre-recorded the week of December 12th at the Mendocino County Office of Education Remote Studio in Ukiah, California. I thank you for listening to Community Supported Radio. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.